The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show takes a little bit of a different tact. It's about how to really hire and use a lawyer. And, you know, the attorney-client privilege is really a privacy issue. People want to be able to count on their lawyer that what they tell them will be kept confidential and private unless, of course, they have to disclose documentation to the court and to the other side. But they want to be able to have that confidential uh, situation in which they feel comfortable with their attorney. So I found this book. Um, which is what every good lawyer wants you to know, an insider's guide on how to reduce stress, reduce costs, and get the most from your lawyer by Francine Artone, and she's an attorney herself. So I thought it would be fun to have her on the show. I've been reading her book, and I really agree with everything that I have read so far, and she is a California lawyer up in right near beautiful, beautiful Lake Tahoe, And so let me tell you a little bit about her. Francine Tone has been involved in the legal business for over 40 years, and she's been a California lawyer since 1989. She is the managing partner of Tone & Tone, Attorneys at Law, and she is an appellate specialist. So that means that, you know, when there is someone that has a lawsuit and they lose at the trial court, Um, They may decide that they want to take it to a higher level, which would be to the appeals court, the court of appeals, or maybe even the Supreme Court. She's certified by the State Bar of California for that specialty with appellate law. And she focuses on real estate, business, family law, and criminal defense. So those are the kinds of cases that she has to write the briefs for and argue before the court. She has also been a judge pro tem for 20 years. And what that means is that she sits as if a judge. And so she might do settlement cases and she might hear cases at the um, at, at various levels like small claims or whatever. She is a litigation and trial strategist and she helps other trial attorneys shore up cases to reduce the likelihood of appeal because she knows what happens on appeal. And she is an expert on trust building with clients, which is really important. And then, of course, as I said, she is the author of this wonderful, brand new, best-selling book, What Every Good Lawyer Wants You to Know, An Insider's Guide on How to Reduce Stress, Reduce Costs, that's a biggie, and Get the Most from Your Lawyer. So she also is... um, 
a certified ski instructor, and she is also a trainer for scuba diving. She's a dive master, so all the things I love to do. And she even does paddleboard paddleboard racing and surfing and stand-up paddleboards in Hawaii. So all these fun things. And she's a good lawyer, too. So thanks, Francine, for joining us today from um, up, up there in beautiful Northern California. Thank you, Mari. I'm just thrilled to be on your show today. Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about why you wrote this book. I, I wrote this book because for, well, for years and years and years, um, I um, was trying to create a relationship with my clients because I was so, I needed to have this, I wanted them to have the ironclad trust in me as their attorney. And it kind of takes me back to when I was just a little girl. Uh, when I was five years old, I was adopted, and my life went from a wonderful life with my grandmother, who I was orphaned and lived with my Japanese grandmother. And then when I was adopted, things kind of went south for me. Um, and I don't need to get into the details of that. But what saved me was when I was eight years old, I began watching the Perry Mason show. And many, you probably remember that show. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and, and, you know, back then it was a black and white show and Mary Mason didn't have a beard. And every week somebody would, you know, accused of murder would come to him and say, basically, you're the only one I can turn to. You're the only one I can trust. Mm. And at that time, I had no one to trust and I had no one to turn to. Mm. So I started trusting Perry Mason, this fictitious character on television. He became my role model. And after a while, I decided I wanted to be Perry Mason. I wanted to be that person that someone could come to and trust and know that they could always count on me, that they could tell me anything they needed, and I would have their back. Mm. And so, so I spent 10 years before I became a lawyer working in law offices, and I saw good practices, but I also saw pretty poor practices. And it wasn't that lawyers didn't care about their clients when there was a poor practice. They just didn't do the kind of things that a client really needed to feel like they were being cared for. And so I took a lot of notes. And when I became a lawyer, I made it a point that that was more important to me than anything else was that my client knew that they could have ironclad trust in me. And um, I have to tell you a story about in my criminal defense. This is some of the toughest cases, if you don't mind. Um, sure. No, I love it. So I've got, you know, my, by the time I get the appeal, my clients in the criminal case, they're in prison. Yeah. And it's really hard at the appellate level to get any kind of change in their case. And I, I combed through their files looking through everything, looking to find something to either reduce their sentence or get it overturned. But seldom, it's less than 15% of the cases get any change that benefits that prisoner. Right. And out of those 15%, very few actually overturn a case. In my entire career, I've had three cases completely overturned. Mm. And, and it was because of a technical argument that I found. And, but I get letters from my clients when I've gotten no results from them, thanking me for listening to them, thanking me for helping them, even though they're no better off than they were when I first got the case. And I get letters from other prisoners that I don't even know because the people that I have represented have told them, you need to contact her, <laughs> contact Francine Cohn, right. even though I don't take those, you know, I'm not in a position to take those cases. Right. And what 
what that was is I treat them the same, even though I don't even meet them. These are this is all through correspondence. I give them the same kind of information and I treat them the same that I do with a client who's paying me a lot of money. Right. It's, you know, it's, I I listen to them. Right. And I hear what they say and I validate their concerns. And I think that that's what do you, what do you have to do to develop that ironclad trust? Because clients need to know that the lawyer is there for them. And I've never met a lawyer who doesn't feel that way, but I've met plenty of lawyers who don't necessarily exude what they need to exude to let the client feel that way. Exactly. And sometimes I, I've heard this from other people that, you know, they come to me, but I, I mediate full time right now. So I have both, you know, all sides mm. come to me and, yeah. and I need to listen to everybody. You know, I need to hear what they say, you know, repeat and reframe and help them to come to um, a, a positive conclusion. But I hear them when they're in litigation, they say, you know, my attorney doesn't even listen to me. You know, he or she did not even remember this. You know, they're not taking good notes. They're just in such a hurry. And I think that's, you know, people want to get a lawyer who who listens to them. That's that's what they're paying for, is to be heard and to be represented, like you're talking about, with a caring attitude. And so that's why I was attracted to that, because I think this is really important for our clients to understand and and even ask for that. You know, I'll, I'll say, how can I accommodate you? How can I best accommodate you? Because people who come to us are either in terrible conflict, so it's like the worst time of their life, right? Or yeah. or they're in jail, like you said, and they're trying to get out. I don't, I don't do any criminal law. Many years ago, I was in the DA's office, but I don't do that in my practice. But, you know, people are in pain, when they come to us. So you're absolutely right. And, you know, every good lawyer wants people to know what you put in there. And the bad lawyers don't, <laughs> don't really want that, right? Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, the mistake that people make is the public perception is, of course, that lawyers are, you know, they're smart, but they're kind of sharky. And, and the thing is, I, I, you and I know probably more lawyers than anybody who just the individual, because we work in this field. Right. And I can count on my hands in 30 years the number of attorneys that I would consider to be a bad lawyer. Right. Very Most few. Lawyers, right. Very few. Most lawyers really care and work really hard for their clients. But um, the book, I wrote this book because I, I felt a, a, a deeper need than just working with my clients to let other clients know that lawyers are doing their best for you. And they want that. But at the same time, to somehow get it to the lawyers and say, you need to do a better job at things like listening. And um, I've been working on my skills for, shoot, you know, 40 plus years. And long before the word emotional intelligence came up. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. then, then I've discovered that what I've been working on has been my emotional intelligence. This thing, how do I get that human connection with somebody? And... That's where I see a lot of lawyers missing mm-hmm. um, is, is in that realm. It's not that they don't care necessarily. It's not that they're not good at their job. It's not that they're not good lawyers, but they're missing that component of human connection. They don't teach it in law school. And in some ways, the way we're trained tells us to keep our emotions at home. And that's 
really the wrong thing to do. And, you know, yeah, I, I do, I'm an MCLE provider, which is a certified trainer for the bar, and I do programs on emotional intelligence. So I got a kick out of it when that was something that, you know, we were going to talk about as well. Because, <laughs> you know, what happens is our clients are angry. And then what often happens is, especially in litigation, not so much mediation, but in litigation, that the attorneys take on the anger of their client and, and get into these arguments with each other and yeah. take on that anger because anger is contagious. And unless you have the emotional intelligence to say, okay, I get why you're angry. You know, if I were in your position, I would get angry too. So what are we going to do about it? how are we going to go beyond that anger? And anger is just an alarm. It's like a fire alarm, like, uh-oh, uh-oh, something's wrong here. And then how do we deal with it? If you panic and if you freak out, if there's a fire, then you don't get the fire extinguisher. <laughs> you know, you're not right. thinking logically anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so emotional intelligence is being able to manage those anger and fear and negative emotions that we have so that we can deal with our, our conflict. Right, I, I completely, and you know, I'm a I'm a continuing legal education provider as well, and and there's two courses that I have been giving to attorneys. One, uh, it's called Keeping Your Client's Trust Even When Things Go Wrong, and it's teaching the attorney what it looks like from the client's perspective, right, and what's going on in their brain. Like you mentioned, fear and anger. You know, what do you do when a client gets afraid or gets angry, and you know, I tell them, I said, what do you do? You start reasoning with them and explaining things. That's not what they want to hear. They're not even listening to you. Right. <laughs> you, you need to address what's really going on and hear them and hear what's underneath that emotion so they can get past that emotion, kind of calm things down. Then they can hear the reasoning and the explanation. And then the other course, I call it, don't let invisible lions eat your practice and eventually you. And <laughs> it's... I love that name. <laughs> and, it's, and it's basically the same kind of course, except it puts the attorney at the center of the program. And it's the idea that lawyers don't realize they're under chronic stress all every day, all right. day long. Right. And so unless they've learned how to manage their emotions better, it, sometimes they think they're keeping it at home, but they're not. It's exploding in the office. Or they, they're suppressing it, which, of course, creates many other problems. So, you know, I, I'm looking at this and saying the lawyer, actually, if we can re-engineer the lawyer yeah. to be more emotionally intelligent, they can manage the client better and they can manage themselves better because that's what emotional intelligence is, is knowing yourself well enough that you can manage somebody else. Right. And, and you know, we have uh, in our profession – we have one of the highest rates of suicide, one of the highest rates yeah. of alcoholism and drug use. And so, you know, they call it the other bar, right? right. It is. <laughs> and then you've got the other bar that you've got the two bars that, that people turn to drinking instead of, you know, having some ways of managing themselves and being mindful and doing other things. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real issue. You know, I had a laugh when you were talking about because this morning um, I have a, a clients that are in mediation and one of the parties was very, very upset and 
you know, really kind of ragging on everything and then said, you know, was upset about everyone in the situation. And so then I said, I just listened and listened and listened and took notes. And, you know, she goes, are you there? And I go, yeah, I'm listening to everything that you're saying. And I listened and I listened. I said, so what would you like me to do? And then there's silence, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, because most of it wasn't anything to do with me. You understand what I mean? It was like, yeah. it, it's a, it's a divorcing and that there was nothing that I could do. It was beyond my control about the kids and, you know, the, the adult kids. Right. So, um, you know, that's when I said, well, what would you like me to do? Because I, you know, I can't overstep my boundaries. You tell me what you would like. What are the boundaries that you want me to engage in? And um, so, you know, it ended in a really nice conversation. I think she just really wanted to vent and knew Mm -hmm. that there was nothing that I could do (laughs) in the situation. I said, if you want me to call them, then I have to have authority to do that. Um, if that's what you really want, tell me what you want, and, and I, I will do what I can to accommodate you. But it is so important that they can vent in a safe environment, right? Yes, that is so true. And in fact, you know, it's it's interesting when you mention the safe environment because uh, I also do a lot of leadership training, which is all based on emotional intelligence. And in the workplace, the, people are starting to talk more and more about having a safe environment for people to be able to say things and make mistakes and not be crucified, right. that, that this is part of the creative process. But the safe environment is kind of applies all over the place, and especially with a lawyer. Right. It's, you know, if, if this is a person, I always go back to Perry Mason, to go to somebody and say, you're the only person I can turn to, you're the only person I can trust, you have to feel safe with that person right. if you're going to give them that kind of trust. And... That, that, that safe environment, I've seen too many lawyers, like you say, you mentioned earlier, where the lawyer just didn't hear what the client was saying because they were thinking about the court appearance tomorrow on another case while the client right. is speaking. They're not present. And if you're not present in the moment with the client, you're not giving them that safe environment. And as soon as that one time that they hear something where you've missed something important that they've said... That's kind of like that a chink in that trust armor. Right. You know, a cup, after a while, it chinks away and the armor just falls apart. And then the lawyer is wondering, what did I do? And it's because it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen, you know, happen over a few weeks, maybe months. But right. the, the client is standing back and taking note of this. And no client should ever have that feeling that says, I wonder if the lawyer even cares about my case. Right. They you know, never have that feeling. No, you know, I do mediation for the Orange County Bar for the fee dispute. You know how we have the fee dispute. Yes. I, and yes, and, and mm-hmm. I'm and I'm a mediator for them and I've been doing that for years. And um, you know, the, people get angry at their attorneys because their attorneys don't call them back. Yes. <laughs> don't Number listen reason, to them. Right? <laughs> and then, you know, the thing that drives them crazy, which is something I'm real careful about, is they might not get a bill for months and then all of a sudden they get this big bill. You know, that's that's something that, you know, if you don't get a bill is you know, in a timely manner each month, 
you want to see what's going on and you want to be able to review it with them. And if there's a question that you should be able to ask questions without getting charged for asking those questions. So that's really important. If, you know, if you're listening and you have an attorney, you want to see that billing every month. We send out the, you know, the first, second or third, depending on whether it's weekend and always right away and say, we never charge to discuss our bill. You know, never. We will answer any questions you have about it. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's, they have that right to get that. So that's, that's really important. But what has developed since you wrote the book? Anything has developed with, with you and what you've learned? Well, yes. Um, <laughs> I've been continuing to give this continuing education to lawyers. And mm. I'm, you know, it's interesting because my first, when I first did it, I thought, gosh, well, they'd be receptive because I'm kind of pointing the finger at them and saying you're responsible for how your client feels. And uh, it's, it's interesting. I just did this course. Actually, I was called in by a, a pretty large firm that has offices up and down the western coast. And I went to one of their offices, and they all video conferenced in, and I gave this you know, continuing legal education program during their a monthly lunch CLE right, right. program. Mm-hmm. And and I turned to them. I said, you know, the number of one complaint is what you just said. It's lack of communication for whatever reason. The number one complaint of clients is that the attorney doesn't communicate well enough. It doesn't communicate often enough. And that's something that you, I, every lawyer has control over. Right. And... So instead of, you know, it's, it's like to me, the lawyer is the leader in that relationship because they're the expert and people come to you because they want to be taken care of and they turn to you because they're the expert. And of course, there are plenty of clients who may disagree with you and argue with you, but it's because of fear that they're doing that, not because they're actually challenging you as a lawyer. And if they are actually challenging you as a lawyer, you need to look at yourself and say, what did you do That's to make right. this happen? Because you're the leader. And, you know, I just recently, um, you know, read a quote that something to the effect that, you know, when you're a real leader, you have to be thinking about them, not you. Exactly. That's what a real leader does, right? Right. Exactly. (laughs) And so as a result of writing this book and doing continuing legal education, I've now become a leadership trainer. I do leadership training outside of law as well. And I've become um, EQI 2.0, which is the EQ, uh, emotional intelligence assessment. I'm certified to give that assessment and do the coaching afterwards. And I just feel that emotional intelligence for lawyers is the way to re-engineer the lawyer's mind and emotions to make them better. They'll become Gosh, better decision makers. Yeah, everybody right? needs to. And our government, our Congress, uh, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean, I know. It's just like... Really, it's time for us to, you know, and they say that emotional intelligence is more important than IQ because if you don't know how to manage yourself and get along with people and manage others, then you're not going to be successful. So let's switch gears a little bit. Um, In terms of artificial intelligence, what are some of the concerns that, that you have in the legal profession? Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting area because I think the artificial intelligence, the science, the tech on that is is expanding really rapidly at this time. If we have so much in the legal profession already 
that has been taken up by technology. Remember the days when you went to the library to right. research it, uh, pick, and we would have you know three dozen books open, right? With, to one case in each book, and then all I mean, yeah. and buried in books, trying to find the answer to something or coming up with an argument for right. a brief. And now it's the point you click, and I can just click through documents on a screen, and I can research everything so quickly. And now I get results even while I'm searching. I get recommendations from the program saying, based on your searching, here are some recommendations. And I go to those, and I find the solution, find, the, right. find what I'm looking for. And so we've got kind of the smart computers already helping us practice law more effectively doing the nit nitty-gritty things of law. And I also see a lot of other technology that's coming in. But with artificial intelligence, so far, I don't know of any that can emote. Right. There aren't any that have emotions built in. But I understand that's what some tech firms are working on. How do you give a computer, like a right. robot brain, how do you give that computer the ability to recognize emotion? Because I think that's possible. Because it's all facial um, twitches, right? Uh, the, uh, the way yeah. our muscles move. You could program that into a computer. Can they feel the emotion? That, I could be guessing here and I could be wrong that maybe that's many, many, many years down the road. But how do we keep lawyers relevant, useful, and necessary if we start looking at so much of what we do that can be done by artificial intelligence or computers or technology? Yeah, but they're going to still miss that human interaction, which is yeah. what you say is so important about being a lawyer, you know. Exactly. So it, that needs to be developed more so than ever. Yes. So that because, you know, when you think about people gravitating to meetups and other things, it's like it's despite the fact that we're our, everybody's on their cell phone and on their computers all day long, I still think that people are now wanting more of that human connection because we need that as the species. Right. And so much of, you know, uh, what's going on in our courts really has a lot to do with their emotions. People get angry. People get frustrated. Mm -hmm. People feel uh, resentful because somebody, they feel somebody, you know, took money from them or whatever it is, you know, or they're going through yeah. a divorce. I just think that uh, lawyers have to, they can use all this great technology like you do, you know, to look up cases, but in all in all, that's not enough. Otherwise, people can just go online and try and solve cases themselves, but I, I don't think that's that really is where we want to go. I think there is still that need to have someone to be a healer of conflict, you know, to help yeah. you yeah. heal that conflict as you're going through it. How about data yeah. overload? You know, it, doesn't that really make us crazy and you know like like you said when you're researching you're getting data overload aren't you oh absolutely it's it's yeah, it's almost like too much of a good thing is a bad thing <laughs> <laughs> and to be able to access like sometimes i do a search and it tells me there are ten thousand results like i don't have time to read ten thousand cases exactly <laughs> and um and but you know it's it's true that we live in this world and I think that I'm sure a lot of people out there there's so much data available and in fact that's what privacy your issue the yes. privacy piracy is that there's so much data out there we don't even know what's important and what's not important we don't know what other organizations are collecting 
Like when you do a Google search, do they or know what's storing yes. or sharing, right? Right, all this stuff. And you don't even know what's true. You don't know what's false. Right. Uh, I've had clients find things on the Internet on legal cases and give it to me. I read this, and it's not true. Right. But it looks real, and it looks valid, but it's not true. And so, you know, you get down to what's true, what's not true. Everything that looks like they're real and legitimate could still be false. And is it infecting our, our thought processes as well as our actions? And, you know, remember there's an old quote, in fact, it's in my book, knowledge is power. But yeah. I'm starting to think knowledge is not power. It's being able to filter out the knowledge and then use it. That's where the power is. And, and Yeah, so, and some people will just look at an article and it says, this article said this or, or look at this. This person answered me on Facebook that, I sh- that this is what I should be doing. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> this is crazy. But you know what? We are just about out of time. Would you believe that? We could talk all day and have fun. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. So I just want to mention your book again, Francine. It's called What Every Good Lawyer Wants You to Know, An Insider's Guide on How to Reduce Stress, Reduce Costs, and Get the Most from Your Lawyer by Francine Artone Esquire. And so I'm sure people can get this on Amazon, but they can also go to your website. So if you get your website for us, and then it's time to go. Yes, my website is www.francinetone.com. Perfect. Francine, thanks so much. Fun talking to you, and we'll talk again, okay? Thank you. Okay. Wonderful. Bye-bye. You've Bye-bye. Been, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at privacypiracy.org The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.